The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. So each company is different. Each product's different. Uh, they will, you will see some shortages in some products hmm. uh, for a bit. But we're not at the point of a systemic shortage where everyone's short of everything like we were at one point in COVID. We're still far from that situation because there is more capacity um, in the market. That was Zivi Schreiber, CEO of shipping data provider and booking platform Frisos, on the supply chain impact of the Red Sea disruptions. He explains that due to the number of idle fleets and new ships, the Houthi attacks that forced global shipping companies to avoid one of the world's most important trade routes differ from the pandemic-era crisis. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Yawen Chen, a columnist at Reuters Breaking News. This week, I'm joined by Zibi Schreiber, CEO of shipping expert Freitos. We discuss what is happening to Egypt's Swiss Canal, where 12% of global trade passes through, why shipping companies may actually benefit in the short term, even though freight rates have jumped, and what it will do to inflation. Listen on to hear our conversation. Hi, Zivi. Really great to have you here. First of all, I'm just wondering if you can give us an overview of what is happening at the Red Sea and why is it such a big deal? Uh, sure. Hi, Alan. Great to be on. Um, the Well, the, the Red Sea and particularly the Red Sea leads into the Suez Canal. Um, that is, um, you know, the canal that connects the, the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. It's the by far the quickest route to get from Asia to uh, the Mediterranean and Europe. And obviously trade, you know, China to Europe and Asia to Europe is, is a big part of world trade. In addition to Asia to Europe, there's also some trade from Asia to the east coast of the Americas, um, most of that actually goes uh, the Pacific route and through the Panama Canal, but um, some of it will go through the Suez Canal as well, in particular because the Panama Canal is having some problems at the moment. It's not at full capacity. And so some of the trade from Asia to the east coast of the United States can also be impacted. Right, right. Thanks for that. But can you maybe go back a little bit to like why was this conflict um, affecting this specific area, this this canal? Uh, look, to my understanding, um, the reason why this canal is being targeted is because the, um, the Houthi rebels in Yemen um, happen to be right at the mouth of the Red Sea. And so if you're in Yemen and you're angry at the world, uh, you're at a, a good position to, um, unfortunately, you know, to attack all of the shipping, uh, which is going through the, you know, towards the Suez Canal or from the Suez Canal. Yeah, and they're using missiles and drones. So it's kind of different from like pirates in Somali 10 years ago. Do you think the shipping industry has been caught by surprise that this this militant group backed by, I think they're backed by Iran and they are capitalizing on opportunity of the Israel-Gaza um, crisis as well. Like, it, do you get the sense that the shipping industry is surprised that they're they're doing this and and they can um, make the crisis you know as big as it is today? I think uh, for sure the shipping industry was surprised. I mean, it, it's not like the, there have been conflicts around the Suez Canal before. Uh, but not for a long time and not not this type of conflict. Um, you, you're correct, you know, maybe the thing that it reminds us of a little bit is the piracy um, 
which the industry dealt with. But yeah, these these guys are first of all their incentives are less clear because the pirates wanted to steal you know the goods on the ships or um, or ransom. It was a clear financial criminal, but uh, but but you know clear financial incentive. Um, here it's not entirely clear to the shipping industry what these guys want. Yes, it seems to have been prompted uh, between, you know, w- w- because of the war in Gaza, but um, a lot of the ships that they attacked have no connection to Israel in any way. Um, they attacked the ship from, you know, MSC ship a, a month ago, which is a, a Swiss company which was sailing from Saudi Arabia to Pakistan. Not an obvious target, um, and nobody quite knows why they attacked, you know. So so, so it's not quite clear. Um what the motivation is or, or which ships they're targeting, which makes it more scary because at first people were only worried if the ship was owned by, by Israelis or if it was on its way to the Israel ports. But now it seems like all ships are, are targets. Um, and as you said, they're using some sophisticated uh, weapons. So yes, I think, I think uh, you're quite right. The industry was surprised. Yeah, even though I, I know the shipping industry has had its own difficulties during COVID, um, and in 2021, there was this giant ship, I think it's called Ever Even, that blocked the canal also for like a week. Um, yep. How does this crisis compare to those two incidents? Um, yeah, I mean, good question. I think, you know, if you, let's say comparing it to what happens um, when the Ever Given blocked the Suez Canal for a few days, as you said correctly, I think it was March 2021. Um, so... On the one hand, this is much more extends, uh, you know, extended in time. It's um, coming up to three months now. Certainly, um, certainly over two months since this um, these attacks started. Uh, so that's a much longer period of time. On the other hand, the Suez Canal is not completely blocked as it was then. I mean, there are ships going through. Um, each carrier makes its own decision each day whether they they want to risk going through the Suez Canal or not. But there are ships still going through the Suez Canal. Um, the other difference is that when the Ever Given blocked the Suez Canal, it was at a at a time where the whole shipping industry was under huge strain because of COVID. People people were buying record goods during COVID, and the shipping industry wasn't coping. And then um, that that got compounded by the Suez Canal getting blocked um, completely. So it was only a few days, but it was a time when the network was very very uh, strained anyway. Um, in that respect, this one this time is a little bit easier because the shipping industry has overcapacity at the moment. Um, and so, although this apparently is a very, on the face of it, is a very, very serious uh, um, situation where for two months the Suez Canal is not safe, and, and but, but the industry is coping with it um, better than you might think because the industry has spare capacity at the moment. Uh, fortunately, this came after, uh, Chris, uh, you know, it sort of started after the Christmas shipping. Christmas shipping had all, all been done by the end of November um, when this started. So the industry is coping relatively well uh, because it's got that spare capacity. Right. And maybe that's why we're seeing, you know, shipping companies are, you know, like Hapak Lloyd, they're, they're all having um, a rally somehow in their stock price, even though you would assume the cost of being higher, right? Because you have to now um, divert through South Africa's Cape of Good, Good Hope. And I, my understanding is that there is at least two weeks of travel time for a container ship um, 
maybe normally from Asia to Europe? Yes, not at least two weeks. Uh, I would say at most two weeks. Uh, I mean, you're right, it's about two weeks, but it, it can be less because, first of all, it depends where you're going. Um, if you're going right into the Mediterranean, then it, then, it, then it's even worse because you're going all the way around, around Africa, then back through the Mediterranean. If you're going to like Hamburg or Antwerp, it's it's a bit less than that. Than that. And also they have the option of uh, steaming faster. So if they normally go at 30 knots, they can they can go a bit faster. It costs them fuel, but they can make up some time. So if they steam a bit faster, maybe it only adds one week. Uh, but in any event, um, it is adding um, time and cost. Uh, but you're exactly right. What I think you were saying, um, which I agree with, is that uh, there's a rally in the shares of the shipping lines because they were suffering from excess capacity and the prices were very low. And with this crisis, is taking capacity out of the market effectively because if the ships go for a longer route, then there's fewer sailings available. Uh, there's shortage of containers because there's more containers on the water for longer. And that gives them an excuse to increase their price, which they've done. Their, their prices have gone up by, by three or 400%. Um, and that increase in price is probably a lot more than their increase in costs. So uh, when they had a very bad year uh, financially in uh, 23 because of the excess capacity, low prices, uh, this does give them a, a, an opportunity to increase the price substantially. And uh, the, the markets are betting that, that I think I think correctly, that they will make more of a profit um, despite the higher costs. Right. Now, that's really interesting. Do you think the same dynamic is happening for um, their client, their clients, like, you know, for manufacturers or retailers like IKEA? Um, how 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 is the impact playing out on that front for them? Yeah, it, it all varies depending each company and how much spare inventory they have. A lot of companies after the, the shocks of COVID sort of started, um, sort of, if we go back further, all the all the rage was just in time, and you know, don't don't spend money on extra inventory. Uh, but during COVID, anyone who was working just in time, you know, certainly regretted that, and people started being a bit more conservative and keeping more um, buffer of uh, inventory. Um, and but but each company is different, and each product is different. So there are certainly some companies and some products where they didn't have enough inventory and suddenly there's a delay of two weeks or, or, or so and they run out. And so we've seen, you know, um, Tesla and Volvo cars uh, reporting, um, having to shut down factories even, um, IKEA uh, reporting shortages of some some products. And now, again, the, the, the industry is kind of coping. So to some extent that's, uh, um, a temporary thing and and then you know they get the shock they weren't expecting this the the goods are delayed they have a shortage uh, but now they know that this is coming so they can start to uh, order extra and, and stock up in some cases they can maybe use air cargo as a quick reliable alternative to get at least a little bit of inventory um so uh we're, we're also it's becoming a sensitive time again because we're coming up to the um the, the lunar new year the chinese new year um, I think around the 10th of February this year. So that's uh, that's a big deal because um, that means that the factories will shut down for a couple of weeks um, mid-February. So there is a bit of a rush now to make sure that, that um, companies do get the goods they need out of China and Asia 
before the Lunar New Year break. Um, so each company is different, each product's different. So there will you will see some shortages in some products mm. uh, for a bit, but we're not at the point of a systemic shortage where everyone's short of everything like we were at one point in COVID. We're, we're still far from that situation because there is more capacity um, uh, in the market. Mm. You mentioned that by Seafree, um shipping shipping costs have risen by maybe 300, 400% ever since uh, December. Um, what are you seeing in terms of the alternatives like air, air freight? How much has that changed? Because um, I know at Freight tells you um, probably monitor all this kind of data daily. Um, and can you tell us also a little bit more about how is your day-to-day like operations like this time uh, at this time of the crisis? Yes, yeah, so, so as you said, Freitas publishes data on both. We publish, we have the Freitas terminal, which is where we publish our data. We publish the FBX uh, Freitas Baltic index for container rates. We publish the Freitas air index for air rates. Um, so interesting, if, if you look at Ocean, to be may, maybe a bit more specific now, if you look at FBX um, 11, is the route from uh, China and East Asia to um, North Europe, which is the the biggest route that is impacted by the Suez Canal. We've seen rates that jump from um, $1,200 in November per container to, let me just look, uh, yeah, $5,500. The Freitas Air Index has been uh, surprisingly stable. We we have been looking to see if there's a big jump um, as people move some goods to air, you know, because oceans become, uh, is delayed. Uh, But we have not actually seen um, any significant increase in um, air rates on the freight or That's interesting. What do you think that is showing? I guess that that echoes what you're saying about how actually demand is still relatively subdued and maybe people are not rushing to find alternatives. Yeah, I mean, what I said to be um, actually is not that demand is subdued. That's there's a little bit of truth in that, but mainly that there's more supply. In ships. Uh, and that's true, yeah. So in ships, uh, in, in ocean, there's more ships. Uh, during COVID, the, the carriers bought many more ships, too many ships, to be honest. Uh, and, and the ports bought more cl- more cranes and more trucks. You know, throughout the whole network, there's more capacity but because of the compensating, maybe overcompensating for the shortages of COVID. Uh, in air, there's also um, increased capacity, but for uh, which is why I think we're not seeing the air rates uh, peak. Um, the reason for the um, air, I'm just I'm just checking while we talk the Freitas um, air index for China to Europe, which is the most relevant, still hovering around um, three dollars twenty per kilogram. Um, not very different to where it was in slightly lower than where it was in November. Uh, mind you, November was pre-Christmas, uh, but but in any event, we're not seeing any any sort of unusual. A jump in air cargo. The reason why air has more capacity is a, is a slightly different reason, which is that there is a, a genuine um, increase in passenger travel. And a lot of cargo goes on passenger planes. You know, when you sit on a plane, there's cargo under, under your feet on the lower deck, especially if it's a wide plane, a two-aisle plane, has a lot of cargo capacity. So, um, so the uh, airlines have been buying a lot of planes in order to cope with the passengers. And a side effect of that is that they have more cargo capacity as well. Uh, and that's why, uh, yeah, so that's why you're seeing air rates um, a little down and the airlines coping quite well with the extra demand 
um, even, you know, without it even um, reflecting in a price increase. That's really uh, You asked also about um, operations. So, I mean, look, for us, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but for us, any disruption is kind of good because we're a digital platform. We give people quick uh, alternatives. And um, some people are always using our platform to find the best rates and on the, any given day. Other people, when everything's going smoothly, they sort of just settle into some. They, they sort of just sign a long-term contract, maybe, and and they don't use us uh, in that case. And then when things are disrupted and the long-term contract isn't valid anymore, then they come back to us to say, oh, quickly, find me an alternative route, find me an alternative mode, like air instead of ocean. Um, so for us, we're, we're automated, so that doesn't affect our, our day-to-day work very much, but it does bring more traffic to our uh, platform. So you have a lot of um, ship op- operators going to you and, you know, trying to find the best routes po- possible. At how sh- how short of a notice do, do you sense that is? Like, is it for travel next week or right away, or how how is that changing? Yeah, it, to be accurate, uh, the it's the importers and exporters uh, and the freight forwarders who are arranging shipping for the importers and exporters who, who tend to come to right. look for capacity. Um, it varies. It's not normally a long way. You know, you can look for sailings and flights as, as soon as maybe about two days from now. Not normally less than that because you've got to get a truck to the port. You can't sort of just book for this afternoon because you're not going to get it there in time. But we see bookings as um, as close as about two days. And in, in most cases, not more than about two weeks ahead. In some cases, yes. But in most cases, people are booking um, uh, shipments two days to two weeks ahead, mm. uh, typically. Right. But is it still the case that the fixed term, like the longer con- like longer data contract rates are still cheaper than the spot rates? Because I think there's a spread um, when at the start of the crisis, right? But maybe with January well into the end of the month, um, some of the new contracts have been renewed and, and and that spread is changing as well. Yeah, there's usually, in, in a normal market, there is a spread where indeed, um, you know, long-term t- tenders, contract, contract rates tend to be a little um, cheaper in exchange for the fact that you commit to volume. Um, but of course, the spot market is very, very volatile. So, and right now, spot markets have jumped up. So for sure, the contract rates are cheaper. But of course, you know, if the crisis hopefully finishes at some point, then, there, you know, there may be people who are now, um, who in, you know, January sort of created contracts for the year. And, and the Pacific routes often, they sort of uh, create those contracts in the second quarter, sort of April, May. Um, and if the crisis happens, they may they may be forced to to sign contracts at a at a higher rate if the con if the crisis is still going on. And then if the crisis suddenly finishes and spot rates crash, then they'll f- they'll find themselves with a um, fixed price contract, which is higher than the spot market. And that's an interesting situation. You know, Freitas has done a lot of research on what happens to contracts in both directions. I mean, we, we actually think that the the fixed price tender is is problematic because it gives the illusion that you're going to lock in your rates for a year and you can budget and and everything's good and for the carrier it gives the illusion that they can predict the revenue for a year and budget for that so so it sounds very good but 
our research shows consistently uh, that it doesn't really work that way. If, if rates we, really jump, yeah. you know, yeah, if rates really jump up a lot, the carriers find some way to pass it on. They call it a surcharge, or they say, "Yeah, we respect your rates, but sorry, there's no place on the ship." You know, this happened right. in COVID a lot. There's a lot of ways yeah, to of course, get you, around. Right, you locked in two thousand um, dollars. We respect that, but sorry, the ship's full. If you want to pay us fifteen thousand dollars, <laughs> then maybe we can find a spot somewhere. You know, so there was a lot of that. Uh, and vice versa, when rates crashed, it happened last year, it happened in 2016. When rates crashed, uh, a lot of the shippers, as we call it, the importers and exporters, will simply go and buy at least part of their capacity spot. And they'll say, I'm I'm not, you know, I've contracted a rate for $5,000, but I can buy it on the spot market for $2,000. I'm, I'm just going to buy spots. So, um, yeah, so you're quite right. These, uh, these fixed price contracts are... Um, uh, tempting and that they're common, but they're never quite as fixed price as, as uh, both sides would like. I guess that will make, you know, forecasting the revenues for shipping companies even more uncertain <laughs> and complicated. It, it does, yeah. 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 Um, so what, yeah. what do you think will happen next? Like, we <laughs> talked about how the, you know, impact has been kind of mixed and limited in different ways. I know rates have jumped, but I think it's still quite, I still below the peak of the pandemic, you know, during COVID, yep. right? Yep. Um, and, but, but, but if this situation persists for like, say, a year, yeah. um, because my understanding is that the Houthis could just throw those drones and missiles into the sea and there's enough to just scare the shipping companies away right and what what like what's going to happen in that kind of situation and as a shipping company or as important exporters how do you prepare yourself for that yeah um yes i mean who knows uh again i mean there's there's plenty of ships on order so if the industry has to adjust to not using the Suez canal i mean that's it's almost unthinkable because the Suez canal has been uh, such an important part of the shipping industry for I forget the exact dates, but it's a couple of centuries or, or you know a long, long time. Um, so it's almost unthinkable. I, I assume I, I'm not an expert on geopolitics, but I assume that the United States and their allies are very serious about you know getting the shipping route back back uh, open, and they'll do whatever it takes. But but again, I'm not I'm not a military expert. I'm not a geopolitical expert. But I, I don't think the world will. If I had to guess, I don't think the world would allow the situation to persist for a year. Uh, but if it did, uh, the shipping industry will be able to cope. Um, they've got the ships coming on uh, on board. The, the, it will be bad for the environment. They'll have to burn a lot more fuel. Um, so that's uh, that's a, a negative. Um, that's unfortunate. Which is unfortunate. As it is, this industry emits a lot of CO2 and they'll emit even more if they're going around Africa. And if they steam faster, that's even more. So that would be quite unfortunate. Um, but the industry can cope, um, and the importers and the exporters can cope. They'll they'll just have to adjust to ordering their goods a week or two earlier, um, and they'll probably decide to keep a little, if they can afford it, they'll keep a little more inventory just so that they have buffer, at least for the industries who can. Uh, now, there are some industries like fast fashion where they can't keep um, much inventory because, you know, they're changing the, the models every two weeks. But those guys tend to use air cargo anyway because because they want it to be very quick. I suppose everything just comes down to cost then because yep. it, it sounds like so far the situation is that you get delays, but things will arrive. Um, you might get it more expensive 
Um, but presumably, yep. even for freight rates, you, you might not stay at such an elevated level, right? As yeah, the quite time possibly. Passes. And your point about cost is also relevant to keeping more inventory because interest rates are high. So, you know, uh, last year when interest rates were zero or two years ago, uh, it didn't really cost you to put your money um, into inventory. In fact, you weren't getting anything in the bank or even negative in certain cases in Europe. So it may have been quite a good idea to pour your money into, you know, uh, inventory. But now, uh, you know, money money costs. Money costs 5% or whatever it is. And that's also a point. So this uh, crisis, the shipping costs more and then you need to keep more inventory and that costs you as well. So, so yes. Um, and, and to some extent, there's a risk that all those costs will come back to, you know, the world's trying to get over the infl wave of inflation. Um, but these shipping costs and inventory costs are, are going to um, come through, at least to some extent, to the consumer pricing and um, make it harder to bring inflation down. Right. Do, do you think there will there will be a spillover into inflation from this crisis? Um, there will like, be some. I mean, for typical goods, the shipping cost on average is only very roughly, I don't have the exact number, but very roughly sort of 5% of the cost of goods. So, you know, so even if shipping costs go up by, by um, and, and that's the total shipping, the ocean is just one part of that, you know, you've got the trucking and, and everything. So typically the ocean is a small part um, of the cost of the goods. And when ocean prices go up, it has only a, a small impact on the cost of the goods, but it will have some. I mean, especially, you know, we're, we're not talking about a small change, we're talking about hundreds of percent. Uh, so, you know, even if ocean is just half a percent of your, the price of your products, and but then it goes up four times, now it's 2%, then your products become more expensive by one and a half percent, just as an example. So um, so even when shipping is a small part of your, of your cost of goods, then a, a big change will have an impact. It will have some impact on inflation, yes. Well, that's that's probably bad news for central banks for yes. <laughs> anxiously looking at their rate cuts. Um, yeah, uh, thank you, Zivi. That was really helpful. Um, and thank you for spending the time explaining. And I'm sure there's more to come with this crisis evolving. Um, and until next time, thank you. Thanks, Yowen. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Taslick in London. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, The Views Room, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with more of our views at breakingviews.com and on the ex-social media site where our handle is at breakingviews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of U.S. politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.